I'm Anthony Pastore. Welcome to UBS On Air. Today, I speak with my colleague, Julie Binder, a senior strategist with the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team. The mission of this group is to serve as a thought partner to exceptional families. We understand that your family's needs extend beyond the purely financial, so we take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing your wealth for continuity. This team works with UBS financial advisors and their clients to clarify and articulate your shared values and goals, bridge the gap between generations to perpetuate your family's legacy, and develop a well-thought-out plan to support your family's goals and philanthropic aspirations. Julie has been with UBS for almost two years and is based in New York. She works with financial advisors and their clients from Philadelphia through Maine. In her previous role, Julie worked with philanthropists across the country for over a decade. The UBS Global Philanthropy Services team consists of over 50 team members who are based across the world and work directly with UBS's most valued clients, helping them ensure to achieve their philanthropic aspirations. Today, Julie and I are going to spend some time discussing two of the most common types of donor-directed charitable giving vehicles. Those are the Donor Advised Fund and the Private Foundation. So first of all, Julie, let me welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Anthony, so much for having me. Sure thing. So Julie, my first question for you to get us started here is why would someone establish a giving vehicle in the first place? What would get the impetus going to start that? You know, there are a lot of different reasons or motivations, but many charitable individuals have certain organizations that they support on an annual or semi-regular basis. They might have an amount they're comfortable giving each year and manage to that dollar amount. Now, if their income circumstances change, perhaps with the sale of a business or a particularly high income year, they might receive the advice to donate more than their normal amount. For the year, then they would set those funds into an organized vehicle into, in order to sustain their giving in the future. Some other reasons families choose to set up a charitable giving vehicle might include um, if they've been giving cash for many years and they want to get more organized and intentional, or to kind of isolate some of their family wealth that they use for giving so that they can have a training ground for teaching their kids about portfolio management without revealing the full scope of family wealth. And that's one of the great intersections of our work in family advisory and philanthropy services. Um, But this account can be used for financial education purposes and for involving family members in the portfolio management and giving decisions, including each person choosing a cause, creating opportunities for siblings and cousins to make joint decisions and compromises, different things like that. That's great. So what are those options, Julie, then for, for an organized vehicle? You know, the two most common are the donor-advised funds, which are often referred to as the DAF and private foundation. And what's the basic difference between both of those? When I think about them, I like to put it in really simple terms. And the easiest way to think about it is that a donor-advised fund is a sub-account, which is governed by a larger public charity. The donor directs those funds or advises the charity on what other 501c3 charitable organization they want to make grants to, but it's really the governing public charity that has the responsibility. The private foundation is a 501c3 charitable organization in its own right, which is governed by a board of directors or trustees. The board of that private foundation then has the ultimate decision about who they want to support, either by gifting to other charities like the DAF does or supporting their own activities. 
there's a tremendous amount of flexibility in the kinds of gifting a foundation can do. And because the foundation is an entity with its own tax ID number, they can hire staff, incur expenses, and operate more like a functioning charity. That's great. Thanks, Julie. Maybe you can give us some examples of the flexibility in, in gifting that you mentioned. Absolutely. So while many foundations give only to 501c3 charities, like the Donor Advised Fund, especially to begin with, they have many other options as well. So foundations can create their own scholarship programs, run their own activities like paying for the removal of tattoos for gang members who are leaving prison, or make loans to nonprofits, or for research that aligns with their charitable goals. For example, somebody might do medical research into a rare childhood cancer, or, you know, a a virus with a global pandemic, or even give hardship assistance directly to families in times of natural disasters. So there's more latitude for these private foundations as long as they are giving 5% of their previous year's average assets away and as long as they have the right documentation that shows that the activities they're doing are in line with whatever their charitable mission is. So some of these activities, like a scholarship or award program, do require advanced approval from the IRS, Mm. but they do have that that flexibility and that latitude to do those more adventurous things. Right. Much like a lot of things in life, it sounds really rewarding, but also like it's a lot of work. Yes. Well, it can be both. Um, Private foundations do have considerably more administrative burdens than donor-advised funds do. I like to think of it as the price of control. So the administrative requirements come with being an independent organization. So many foundations that have complex activities, they will hire staff or an outsourced administrator. Um, And it's important to remember, too, those staff people can be family members. Um, For some families or donors, they might decide it's just too much work. And the nice thing about that is that they can always close down their foundation by granting out all of their assets to a DAF, that donor-advised fund. One thing that's important to remember, though, for people who are on the fence is that you cannot go the other direction and give your assets from a donor-advised fund to a private foundation. Okay, that's a good distinction. Thanks, Julie. So let me just get this straight. You've got staff, administration, IRS approvals, with everything that goes into running a foundation. At what point does something like that make sense from a financial perspective? I love that you asked that. Um, I always like to slow people down and say, let's talk about what your goals and your initiatives are. But when hard-pressed for a dollar amount, historically, people used to say that you needed at least $10 million for a foundation to make sense. Over the last decade or so, there have been more outsourced providers for foundation administration that have come to market, which makes it significantly more efficient from a cost perspective. We have a few providers of outsourced foundation administration in the UBS professional network that makes the administrative cost break down between a donor advised fund and a private foundation really at about $2 million. Um, For those who aren't familiar with it, the professional network provides advisors and their clients with access to a network of select third-party consultants in various fields related to families and um, ultra-high net worth families and their needs. That's great. Private foundations, Julie, sound like they are pretty flexible. Are there some major advantages to a donor-advised fund? Yes, absolutely. One of the things that's really appealing for donors with the donor-advised fund is, of course, the lack of administrative headache, as well as the option to give completely anonymously. That's something that you don't ever have 
with the private foundation. So if someone is more private with their gifting, the donor-advised fund gives them the opportunity to give without having to disclose it on a public tax form like a foundation has to. For many donors who don't really want everybody knowing everything about their giving, that is a very compelling advantage. That's terrific. And you mentioned uh, there's a a 5% distribution requirement for a private foundation. What other numbers should people be thinking about? Absolutely. So personal tax deductibility is a factor, and those are important numbers to think about and know. You can deduct up to 20% of your adjusted gross income for gifts of appreciated securities to a foundation. That number goes up to 30% for gifts of appreciated securities to your DAF. In terms of cash, you can deduct up to 30% of your adjusted gross income for that cash into a private foundation, and that number goes up to 50% into a donor-advised fund. And that's often really difficult to follow, but what it means in simple terms, let's take a million dollar income with no other factors or deductions. You can deduct a gift of 200,000 in appreciated securities directly to your private foundation, as well as another 100,000 in cash. Into a DAF, that could be 300000 in securities and an additional 200000 in cash. The tax law also allows for an increased deductibility for a donor who's making an all-cash gift to a donor-advised fund. Under those circumstances, you can deduct up to 60% of your adjusted gross income, but only if it's all-cash. I think that something that's important to remember with that, though, is not a, it's not an either-or consideration. For a lot of families who have both donor-advised funds and private foundations, they'll layer those gifts by maybe maxing out their uh, gifts to a private foundation and then giving above and beyond into their donor-advised funds. Right. So it sounds like there's a lot of thinking that has to go into making these decisions. Is there a a number that our family advisory and philanthropy services team can help a client determine, or maybe even speaking to their UBS financial advisor? What do you recommend, Julie? You know, when it comes to figuring out what is the best amount for an individual donor to contribute to charity, there are so many factors that go into it um, as far as motivation, comfort level, the liquidity, longevity, legacy bucket that the UBS is, um, the UBS financial advisor can help a client look at. But really, the, um, the donor would need to work closely with their accountant to get the actual tax deduction numbers. We aren't tax advisors, and there really are a number of considerations that come into play. So the tax advisor will need to get that number, though, as I mentioned, a client's UBS financial advisor can really help determine what a client needs for that liquidity and longevity, and then look at what's left in the legacy bucket for philanthropy. Great. And, and you mentioned cash and appreciated securities. What other kinds of assets might be donated to these vehicles? That's where it can get really fun. So private equity, artwork, real estate, all sorts of things of value can be donated into the um, private foundation or the donor advised fund. Um, That's another big advantage though when you are donating those atypical assets to the donor advised fund. Donors receive a fair market value deduction for those types of assets. But if they're giving them to a private foundation, they would only benefit from a cost basis deduction, which can be really significant, especially when you're looking at things like private equity, artwork, and real estate. Something to keep in mind, though, is that a donor-advised fund would need to liquidate those assets and then reinvest those proceeds. 
Um, sometimes people ask, well, on, why on earth would you ever donate them to a private foundation then? And just an example for that, let's say your family has a painting with significant family importance that you want to keep as part of your charitable legacy. That's the kind of case where a private foundation might make more sense. The foundation could actually own and hold the artwork and even pay for the care and storage of it. You've likely been in a museum and seen a piece on loan from a family foundation, and that's where these pieces of art are considered charitable use assets. So in circumstances like that, it can make sense to donate to the private foundation, which again is why you really want to have a comprehensive conversation about everything you're looking to do charitable, um, charitably. Terrific. Thank you so much, Julie. And as we're wrapping up our chat today, it seems like there's a, a variety of factors that people listening in today need to consider before making a gift, not just financial, but motivational as well. What do you say to, to those who maybe are thinking about that? Anthony, that's exactly right. In general, it's so important to have a good understanding of what you're looking to get out of your philanthropy before you decide on a vehicle, as well as what kinds of assets you're looking to donate. And keep in mind, it's not that either or proposition either. Many fam families who have a foundation also have a donor advised fund for things like those anonymous gifts um, or to engage their rising generations and have that donor advised fund serve as um, the, the training ground for, the, for those younger people or to minimize something called mission drift within a foundation. And what I mean by that is if a family has decided that they, for example, want to focus on environmental impact within their foundation, but they also have a few arts or community organizations they care about, they might make those arts and community gifts out of their donor advised fund. There are so many ways to use both a donor advised fund and a foundation to really engage your family and strengthen your legacy. So I would encourage clients to engage in a conversation with their UBS financial advisor about those liquidity, longevity, and legacy buckets, and pull in our team to explore what charitable vehicle or combination of vehicles is right for them. Excellent. Julie, thanks so much. This has been a great conversation, and I think you've given a lot of our listeners food for thought. Thanks for taking us through. appreciate that. Thank you, Anthony. It was a pleasure being here today. Pleasure was mine. Thank you, Julie. Julie Binder, again, a senior strategist with the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. And as Julie pointed out, and I'll remind you, the best resource of information to get things started is your UBS financial advisor. So make sure to reach out to them, please. That's a great way to get started. And then have conversations and discuss what Julie and I had a conversation about today. And then obviously, when the time comes, getting in touch with the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team. And you can do that right through your UBS advisor. Thanks, everyone. From New York, I'm Anthony Pastore. Have a great day. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll speak with you soon. UBS Wealthway is an approach incorporating liquidity, longevity, legacy strategies that UBS Financial Services, Inc. and our financial advisors can use to assist clients in exploring and pursuing their wealth management needs and goals over different timeframes. This approach is not a promise or guarantee that wealth or any financial results can or will be achieved. All investments involve the risk of loss, including the risk of loss of the entire investment. Timeframes may vary. Strategies are subject to individual client goals, objectives, and suitability. 
This presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. In providing wealth management services to clients, we offer both investment advisory and brokerage services, which are separate and distinct and differ in material ways. For information, including the different laws and contracts that govern, visit UBS.com forward slash working with us. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA, SIPC.